thank you for tonight and for your word. We pray that you would just speak to us and teach us something um, as far as our own living, our Christianity out in this world that is so lost. And uh, it seems to get even darker all the time. We just pray right now you'd speak to us and that you would just use this study to your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, so here we are again. Practical Christian living. So last time I did this, months ago, when it was probably snowing on the ground, or snowing and it was landing on the ground, I guess, um, we went through the Beatitudes as our basis for um, finding the practical Christian part of our living, which is a great thing, and that's what your notes say. But I won't even probably be touching on those. Um, I might touch on them a little bit, but not really what I'm using. Um, because we've already gone through this, this is more of a um, kind of a little deeper than the foundation part of. If you guys notice this time through, that's what I'm doing with most of the studies. They're going a little deeper than just a foundational thing because of the group that's here. Um, so I didn't want to go back through the same stuff because then you guys have to hear the same thing over again. So we'll save that for another time if the Lord wants us to continue. So practical Christian living. So the word practical in, of itself means of or concern with the actual doing or use of something rather than with theory or ideas. So basically, this is practical Christian living, basically to put it in super layman's terms, will be putting your life into practice. It would be the rubber meeting the road in your walk as a Christian. It's not about theories or ideas. It's about actual action in your life as a Christian. And so I would pose the question to you guys, because that's what Tanner wants me to do, is pose questions to you guys so that you can talk. Um, what would be a way that you guys would say, okay, this is how I know, or this is what I do, or this is what I've seen done, or this is what I think should be done to show practicality in your Christianity in this world? Okay, so remember, it's the act of doing as opposed to just the theory or the idea of doing. Not, well, I think we should do these things. What actually should we do? So, yeah, the fruit of the Spirit. Seeing that living out in life, that would definitely be Galatians 5, where we, where we would see that that is an act, if that's lived out in our lives, for sure. Oh, Corey Ten Boom. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Forgiving the actual Nazis from the concentration camp, uh, Corey Ten Boom, um, actually forgiving the guard who killed her family. Um, amazing to think that God's love so deep in somebody's life to forgive something like that. I don't know if I could do that. I don't know if she knew she could do that. But that is definitely a way that you see practically the love of Jesus Christ, that Christianity lived out in in that situation, most definitely. And that's not the only one. Uh, who was it? Matthew West that wrote that one song? Was it him that wrote the song about the, yeah. about, the court case. about the court case? Yeah. Um, that same. Oh, yeah. It's where uh, it was forgiveness from my dad, was it? The mom. For for the death of family member, yeah, and uh, in court she forgave the guy for killing her son, and he wrote what's the song? Do you remember the name of that song? Huh? Oh, forgiveness. Yeah, the song forgiveness that Matthew West does. You're just like crazy to think that that kind of love would be within, or, and it's really not within us as humans. Um, it's that's more of an ideal. You know, it's like a, yeah, I'd love to be able to do that. But to see it played out practically, it's up too high. Hang on. <laughs> Can't hear you guys. There we go. Okay. 
Okay, so um, there's two, three. There's three practical ways that we would see our Christianity lived out. Me and the two girls have answered. <laughs> so, nothing else? Okay. I know. Yeah. Yeah. Showing love as opposed to just feeling. Um, love isn't a feeling anyways. Love is an action. It's a decision. It's a choice. Um, the world teaches us that it is a feeling. You know, it's the warm fuzzy inside, but that warm fuzzy goes away. So then it's a choice. You know, the warm fuzzy you realize isn't really the love. The love is so much deeper than that feeling. But yeah, those are all ways um, where you would see the practicality of your Christianity being lived out. And so Christian, as we know, when it first started out as a term, was a derogatory term. To be called a Christian was, it was like, supposedly it was a bad thing if you were like Jesus. It was a bad thing because Jesus was crucified on a cross. And that means that he was cursed according to what the scriptures say, right? Cursed is every man that dies on a tree. So to be called a Christian ties you with a man who is cursed. So you're cursed like that man that you're following. Um, but we know that that curse or the supposed curse of Jesus dying on the cross was such a blessing. I mean, he pulled, he did take the curse of the Adamic sin, sin nature when Adam sinned in the garden and all that stuff, the, the crown of thorns, Representing the garden and the toiling of the ground. And I mean, there's so much symbolism there. And that is what he did. But that him being cursed wasn't a curse to us. But obviously, if you don't know Jesus, you don't know that he removed the curse from us by taking it upon himself. And so the practicality of the Christianity, seeing Jesus live it out, remove the curse from us so that we could live that life that he lived. I mean, that was ultimately the goal, was that we would be small Christs. And that's not like the New Age or some of the doctrine that's out there, that we would become gods, but that we could be a representation of Jesus. That's what we're to be. Like uh, Rachel said, with the, the Cory Ten Boom, forgiving a, a Nazi SS Holocaust uh, concentration camp guard forgiving him for killing your family I mean that is I don't know I mean that's totally a de- great depiction of that being like Jesus in that forgiveness as Jesus hung on the cross and he said Father forgive them for they know not what they do he, he's like Lord they, they don't understand they don't know what they're doing and ultimately fulfilling God's plan but they didn't know they just, they don't understand. You're, you're crucifying the king of glory. And, you know, like they said, that uh, it wasn't the nails that held Jesus on the cross. It was his love. Because he could have come down. He even said that. So, you know, and that's what they challenge him. If you, if you are the son of God, they come down from there. But he stayed there proving he was the son of God. Coming down wouldn't have done it. They wouldn't have believed that either. They would have had some other reason. So... The practical concern with the actual doing or use of something rather than the theory or idea. So it's the practical concern. We want we want to actually do Christianity. We don't want to just talk about Christianity. We don't, we don't want to just theorize, pontificate, you know, like they did in Greece, you know, where they all sat at the on the hills and they had all the gods, all these uh idols and and temples and and altars to all these different gods so they could all sit there and they could talk to each other about their god and how great their god was and tanner went over a lot of that stuff last night um the well not a lot he went over four major religions and i did that two and three weeks ago um covering different religions that that we looked at and it was funny because tanner and i on saturday we sat we were talking for i don't know we talked for quite a while and I didn't know that he was going to be teaching that last night. And I told him, I said, that's what we were talking about Saturday. He goes, I know. He goes, I guess I mentioned something to him. I don't remember. After he and I uh, won four 
horseshoe games. Uh, undefeated we were. Um, but after we had finished that, I, I said something to him about karma. And he was like, oh, man, I'm going to be teaching on that Saturday. He didn't tell me that. In his own mind, he said he thought that. And then our conversation took off from there. We're talking about different false religions and stuff. And then he had been studying those things. It's pretty crazy how that works out. But it, it always seems to work out like that, that that's, that's what we're doing. So in order to have a Christian life, which you would have to have to have Christian living, the obvious first thing required of any type of a Christian living is that we are born again. So um, last week, Luke talked about sin and salvation and what that meant, what it was to come to Jesus Christ, understanding your sins so that you can receive salvation. Um, so we have to be born again to start. And so it's being born of the water and spirit, John 3, 3, when uh, Nicodemus comes to Jesus and asks him, about being born again. Jesus explains to him being born again. It has to start there. So that's where it has to start. And once you have been born again, there has to be some real tangible signs attached to the belief that you say you have. Because believing is not just a mental, oh yeah, I understand, or I, I have, again, it's not a theory, it's not an idea. Like, the word practical means it's the application it's the doing so when you say you believe there has to be more than just words there should be some tangible things attached to your life to show that you truly believe i'm not going to do my airplane analogy i think i did that probably last time i've done it so many times there's a lot of different ways you can see it but it's action it's not i mean because everybody okay not everybody let's say 90 percent of the people that you will talk to about God will tell you they believe in God. And then they'll drop some F-bombs and use a couple other words and tell you about the parties and all the stuff, all the sin that they live. And it's like, wait a minute, if you believe, then why are you talking like this and why are you acting this way in your life? So the lifestyle itself doesn't bear out what they say they believe. So again, tangible things attached to this life that we say we believe. If we say we believe in God, we believe Jesus Christ was God, then our life should bear that out. There should be a practical way that we see that lived out in our lives. So one of the first things that I think we would see would be that we would see Jesus being Lord of our lives. I know Tanner covered this last night too, but... Um, him being Lord of our lives. And being Lord means that we are the servants, the slaves, if you will. Um, not like what when I read about what Bill Maher said about slaves and God being lover of slaves. We're servants. We're, we're the doulos, the bond servants, the under rowers by choice. We've chosen to give our lives so that God could live through us. And so he's Lord of our lives, and it isn't just a saying. It's not just something we say, but there is evidence in our lives to the obedience of his word. Okay, So that evidence in our lives, if we say Jesus is Lord, then he controls everything. He controls all things in our life. Not just some of the stuff. He controls it all. We no longer belong to ourselves. We belong to Him. I think one of the hardest things to do um, is to completely turn your life over and let Jesus live through you. And that's exactly what He's called us to do, though. <clears throat> I remember years ago, Don, Don uh, McClure, when he was talking one time, and I believe he was teaching in, out of Romans. But one of the things he said that I've never forgotten was that God has never called you nor I to be a good Christian. He's never called us to that. He's called us to die and allow Him to live through us. He wants to be the Christ through us. He doesn't ask us to be a good Christian. Now, obviously, um, letting Him live through us, we will be a good Christian. We will have that practical walk with Him. But as we struggle to try to become the Christian we think he wants us to be, 
That's where we fail all the time. We continue to fail. So if you notice in your lives, you look back at all the times that you actually had success or what we would consider success as a Christian, it's when we surrendered and we allowed him to live through us. That's some of the greatest victory that we've ever had. And then, of course, because we have a great victory, we go, okay, God, I got this next one. And then we kind of move him to the side and we take the next one and then we're on our face. And yeah, and then it's like, okay, wait, I didn't do that right. And then we let him do it again. And then we go, okay, now I got it. And then all of a sudden we crash. I mean, it's just a constant struggle. It's uh and it's something we're going to struggle with forever. I was out dinner um, with a friend. You guys know who he is, and most of you know who I was with. Um, but I'm not going to say. But uh, one of the things we're talking about with this friend of mine is, as we were talking, he was telling me about how God has been showing him that he's been really successful as a Bible teacher, as a scholar. Um, God has really used him a lot. And he started thinking that he had something, that he was able to do these things because of the time he's put in. And then he said, like, the last four years, he just feels like he hasn't been very successful. And so he's like, Lord, what's going on? He's trying to figure out what's going on. Why is the success not there that once was there when he was younger? And um, he went to um, Armenia recently. And he's telling me while he was over there, the things he was teaching, God was having him teach in Armenia about the power of the Holy Spirit. He said, and God was showing him that it was God that was causing him not to be successful. And it wasn't that God was making him unsuccessful. He said what God did was God pulled back from him so that he was doing things that he would normally do without success because God was not making himself present in what he was doing and so that there was failure or there was not as much success as there once was and he said and god was showing him look this was never you it was always me and you can see that as i pull away from you while you're doing this thing that I, that you're doing as i pull away the success success is less and less and i just thought wow this is so cool this is a 70 year old man that's been walking with the lord most of his life and God is showing him stuff like that. You know, you think, at least in my mind, you know, 70 years old, man, you got it down. You know, God still works, and, 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 but for the most part, you're doing pretty good. And have him telling me that this is what God is showing me. I was telling the guys uh, the other night that we were sitting in this crazy, I was telling him, he and I, my friend, I almost keep saying his name, um, I used to stay up with him when I'd stay at his house till three in the morning. We would just talk theology, talk about Jesus, talk about God. And that kind of went away when I'd be over there. The conversations weren't quite as deep theologically as they had been in the past. And this may have been part of it was as God was pulling away. Our conversation Tuesday, no, yeah, Tuesday night was a conversation like we had 20 years ago super deep just you could see that he was just really uh looking into just just going into the depths of what god wants him to know and see and to trust and i'm like it was just such an awesome conversation um that we had and i just went man lord this is to me it's so encouraging i mean i'm not young but i'm not as old as him and to know that when I'm that age, it's not going to change. If I continue to seek after God, He will continue to reveal Himself to me. And if I continue to surrender to Him, He will continue to do great works. And that's what He was learning Like who was in, when He was in Armenia. There was a guy with Him in Armenia, and His whole uh, ministry is to pray for people. And He said, man, they would go into different churches in Armenia and every, they were just, they wanted this guy to pray because his ministry or his gift was faith. Praying for people and seeing them healed. Um, the, the Holy Spirit just working because a lot of the churches there don't know that the gifts still are for today. That God chooses to heal. He wants to do all the things that the scriptures talk about. And um, that was something that 
my friend was also talking about was when he was younger, where he grew up and was a part of Campus Crusades, that they were doing crazy stuff where they're getting 1,500 youth going out on a bus looking for three geese in this whole town that he was in, which is a pretty good-sized town. And they're just having a good time. I don't know how they did it or what. I didn't get into the details of what they were doing. But he said it was just these kids were just excited to try to find these three geese all throughout their town. And like I said, it's a good-sized town. I'm not going to mention the town because that might give away too. And since this is being recorded, I don't want it. I don't want anybody to know who I'm talking about. You guys, like I said, I know you guys know, or most of you know, and I'll tell the other guys later. Um, but he said, all these things we're doing, we saw success in what we were doing. He said, but the whole time, we had no idea that God's Holy Spirit was supposed to be involved. He goes, we did these things without the power of God's Spirit. He goes, and we were successful doing what we were doing. He goes, how successful would we have been had we had God's Holy Spirit? Okay, so being born again, being Spirit-filled, and letting God use us would be part of our practical Christian walk. Okay, so the born again and making Jesus Lord, which means he's in control. So whatever it is, he says we do. And also, like I said, another way you would see it would be in obedience to his word. Right. In James chapter one. Verses 22 through 25. James says, be, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. For he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it and is not forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this one will be blessed in what he does. So James saying that a hearer of the word and a doer, not just a, a hearer, but a doer. He said it's like a man who looks in the mirror, right? A natural man, or a, a, like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. He observes himself and goes away and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. So he's saying if you're not a doer of the things that you're reading or hearing as a Christian, then you're like a man who looks in the mirror. You get up in the morning. You got spinach in your teeth. Your hair's like going all kinds of different directions. You got a booger hanging out your nose. You look and you go, wow, that's pretty messed up. And you walk out in the kitchen. You get changed and you go off to work. And you did nothing about that thing that you saw in the mirror. He goes, that's what it's like when you hear God's word and you do nothing with it. You're looking at it. You're looking into the perfect law of liberty, freedom. And God's saying, this is what I want to do in and through you. And you go, oh, that's so cool. That's awesome, God. That's great what you want to do. But you continue about your life and you don't allow him to do those things. He says, that's what it's like. When the man looks in the mirror and forgets what kind of man he was. You saw this ugliness, man, and you know something's got to be done. Um, you don't do anything about it. You know, I look in the mirror and I make sure my hair is combed. You know, I make sure I don't have anything in my teeth. And then go out the door. I, I, it would be foolish to look in the mirror, see that stuff, and then just turn around and walk away. And not do anything about what you saw. And that's what God's word is. His, his word is that mirror. We look at it and it shows us what we are. It shows us the things that we have going on in our lives that need to be changed. He says you need to be a doer of the word. So as he reveals to us the things in our life that need changing, he says be a doer. Do it. Change what he's calling you to change. Because in that change, he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this one will be blessed in what he does. So you can't think that you're going to read God's word, say, oh, that's awesome, that's great, and that's for them, 
but I'm okay and I continue on the way I am. I'm not going to be blessed in what I do. I need to see who I am and because God is going to show us. That's one thing about a mirror. You know, unless you go to the carnival and see one of those weird mirrors that makes you look like all wavy and fat and all those different things. A, a normal mirror, it doesn't lie. It tells you the truth, man. What you see is what you are. You can't look in the mirror and go, oh, this mirror's a liar, man. I'm not that ugly. No, you are, man. So am I. When I look in that mirror, I go, yeah, that's me. It's like, ooh, I don't know what my wife saw in me. But it's it's truthful. It's not going to lie. You know, it's not like Cinderella's mirror that talks back to her. You know, it's a genie instead of herself looking into it or whatever it is. In the, isn't it Cinderella that talks to the mirror? Snow White. Snow White? Yeah, that one. I knew it was one of those princesses. Esther could have told me, but... Okay, so Snow White looks in the mirror, mirror, mirror on the wall, who's the fairest of them all, that kind of thing, right? So when he looked at what? Beauty and the Beast, show me the beast. Becca knows that. Becca has a little mirror. I think she still has it. Show me the beast. Um, But the mirror is honest. It tells you the truth. You can't get mad at the mirror when you look at yourself and you see something you don't like. You know, it's like the mirror's just showing you the truth. And that's God's word. So many times they get mad because God's word is showing the truth. They don't like what it says. And so therefore I'm going to do nothing about it because I don't believe it. I don't believe that God says that I can't sleep with my boyfriend, my girlfriend. That I can't have an extra woman on the side besides my wife or an extra man besides my husband. People don't want to believe that. But see... It's just the truth. It's the mirror. It's just telling you what it is. And God doesn't do and say all these things because He wants to destroy our lives. It's for our benefit. He wants your life to be better, like uh, Tanner even talked about last night with Solomon. God never wanted more than one woman and one man. I think I covered that when we did the infallibility of God's Word. That's God's plan. One man, one woman. He created Adam and Eve. That was it. They procreated from there. Any polygamy that happens after that, even though it's in God's word, he never says this is a good thing. In fact, usually when you see it in the scriptures, it's a bad thing. I talked about that as we were going through. Great example, uh, Joseph and Mary. We had Isaac and Rebekah. There's people in the Bible, and you see a better marriage and life with the monogamous marriage rather than the polygamous marriage. Uh, Solomon, the 700 wives and 300 concubines. And they say he was the wisest man. And he, you know, was the wisest man, but he was a fool. And it's like, how do you do that? I mean, he was a fool because that created so much idolatry in his life because he's not doing what God said. Again, the mirror, God's word, told him what he was supposed to be. He was never to mix with the people of the land. All his wives... They were all from all over the countries, all around the surrounding areas because he didn't want to have war with those kings. And so if he married their daughters, they wouldn't come attack him. But God promised he was going to have peace. He was just, he was a messed up dude. And he had everything. He had the wisdom, he had the money, but he had headaches. So we need to be a doer of the word, not just here. Also John eight forty seven says the same thing. So as doers of the word of God, James says that we will be blessed in what we do. He is going to bless us if we are obedient to his word. If we make the changes that the mirror shows us need to be made. When we see the hair messed up, brush the hair. God, he reveals to us what we need to change. And if we make those changes, and it is a process over a long period of time. Like I said, I mean, I'm talking to my friend that's 70 years old. And he's telling me about stuff that God just showed him. And he's learning. It's like, it's cool. It'll never be over. But we have to be willing to continually change. We can't be set in our ways. So if we get there, we're obedient to the word. Then in Romans 12, and I'm sure you all know this. Romans 12. Oops. That's not, that was 1 Corinthians 12. Paul says, right, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, 
holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Okay, we're going to see this again when we go through the will of God. We're going to see that scripture again. But Paul says that we present by the mercies of you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, present your bodies a living sacrifice. Okay, a sacrifice, we know scripturally, or any other way that you may sacrifice something, sacrifice means you put it to death. You get rid of that thing if you sacrifice, I don't know, your Twinkies or Ding Dongs or whatever, you know, your cookies, your Dr. Pepper. You're, you're putting it aside. You're getting rid of it. It's no longer going to be a part of what you do. So a sacrifice is something that is given up. In this context, it is uh, scripturally an animal that is slain. So Paul says that we present our bodies a living sacrifice. And that's an oxymoron. Because a sacrifice is something that is to be killed. But Paul says, but you're not going to be killed. You're going to be a living sacrifice. So it's an, it's an oxymoron. We're going to continue to live, but we're going to be dead. It's like, right? It doesn't make sense. But as Christians, we know that this is the hard part of our Christianity. Is Because the one thing about a sacrifice, when you sacrifice a bull or a lamb or a turtle dove or whatever it is the sacrifice was in the Old Testament times or at, at the time when Jesus was here while the temple was still around, you slit the throat of the whatever it was and that was it. Once the blood's gone, it's done. You don't have to continue to wrestle with the ox or the lamb or the whatever. Once it bleeds out, it doesn't move anymore. It's dead. Okay, that's the idea behind the sacrifice. But we're different because we don't have to slice our throats or do any of that. We're living. The problem with the living sacrifice is you have to continue to wrestle with it to keep it on the altar. The dead one, you slice the throat, it bleeds out, and it just lays on the altar. It doesn't go anywhere. As a living sacrifice, we put it on the altar ourselves, on the altar... And we're good for two, three days, maybe two or three minutes. And we want to get up. It's like, okay, I'm good. I sacrificed. I'm ready to move on. I'm going to go do my thing. But Paul says, no, you present yourselves a living sacrifice. So if we put ourselves on the altar as a sacrifice, if we can do that, and we have this set-apart life is basically what it is because it says that we are to be a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is our reasonable service. So we do that we're holy, which means to be set-apart. Okay, That's what holy is. It's a set-apart thing. It's for God. Our lives now, as we sacrifice them or we, we kill them as far as our desires, right? Because we already talked about Jesus being Lord, which means he's a master. I am now the service servant which means I gave up my life or the life I could have had with me in control. I gave that up and gave it to him. So I've sacrificed my life. I have to keep jumping on that altar because I don't always like to do the things that I'm told to do. I don't like to look in the mirror and do everything the mirror tells me. I don't want to believe the mirror all the time. Sometimes I think the mirror is lying to me. It never does, but sometimes I think it does. So... I need to set my life apart, a sacrifice holy. And if we do that, if we are a sacrifice, a living sacrifice, and it is set apart for God, it automatically, just by the nature of what it is, is acceptable. So he says that your body is a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God. Okay, so it will be acceptable just because of the fact that we did sacrifice our lives and we set it apart for God. Why would God not? Accept that, right? So it's automatically, it's an acceptable thing. So when we do that, we living sacrifice holy, it is acceptable to God. He says, it's your reasonable service. It's the reasonable thing to do. It's the, it's just, it should be the way you think. Wait, so God sent his son to the world 
to die on a cross for my sins, not for his, for mine. He died and bled for me. And all he wants me to do is just live my life for him. I don't even have to die. I mean, physically I will eventually. But I don't have to die like he did on that cross. He did it for me. So it's like, wow, okay. I think I can live for him. He died for me. I can live for him. I've said before, I used to always think when I first came around to the Lord, I always thought, you know, I'm going to be a tribulation saint. You know, that way I could live my life, continue the way I was, do my own thing. And then during the tribulation period, when things got like really, really hard, that's when I was going to give it up for God. And I, it was reading A.W. Tozer's Root of the Righteous. Reading that book was when I realized that wasn't going to work out. Lukewarm Christians, a friend of mine used to have a punk band back in the 80s, Burrito, my friend Burrito. Um, his actual name was Dave, but we called him Burrito. Um, he, his punk band, one of the songs that he used to sing was Lukewarm Christians Make Him Vomit. Romans, or Romans, Revelations 3.15, 16, right? The lukewarm Christian. Jesus said, I wish you were hot or cold. Either be on fire or just turn away from me completely. Don't be lukewarm. Because lukewarm Christians, he said, I will spew you, which is the word for vomit. I will vomit you out of my mouth. You make him sick to his stomach. I don't know if you guys, I, I don't hear that term anymore, but it used to be, um, that used to be a term that when I was younger, like little, they used to, we used to use. When something, you didn't like something or the way somebody was, it's like, man, they make me sick to my stomach. Just their, their attitude, their whatever it was. That's the idea. The lukewarm Christian makes him sick to his stomach and it makes him want to vomit. So as I was like, as I'm reading Root of the Righteous, I'm like, ah, I don't think this is going to work out well for me in the tribulation time. So I thought, I better get on fire because he told me, get on fire or walk away. Don't play the game. Don't walk down the middle. You know, my friend Xavier always says, you got one foot on the grave and one foot on a banana peel. You're walking down, you know, you walk in the middle of the road. It's not going to work out. It's not going to be good. And I've, I've always said, you know, if you cannot live for Jesus now, you will not die for him then. And that's what I understood was I have to live now. I have to live for him because if I'm willing to live for him, I will be willing to die for him. See, my idea was, well, I'll live for me and then later on I'll die for him. But I wouldn't have because that was all about me. And that was one of the biggest things I, I still have to overcome is me because of that living sacrifice man i don't want to be on the altar i want things smooth i want it easy but being in the world as i was for so many years it wasn't easy there either and it wasn't smooth there either so i'm like it's so much better now because i don't have to worry about anything so god i'm just i'm just on the altar man here i am do what you want to do and as life attacks and comes at me he's got this is yours, man. You got it. There's nothing I can do here. I'm yours. I'm the, I'm the sacrifice. I'm dead. Though I'm alive. It's, like I said, the oxymoron. So it's the reasonable service. He died for me. I could easily live for him. And I made that determination 32, almost 33 years ago now. I made that determination that I was going to live my life for Jesus Christ. And that I was going to be that sacrifice. And like I said, it's a, it's a constant battle. Um, but one of the greatest things is to let people know. People in the world, you know. I know that, um, you know, some of us here work in a Christian camp. You work around Christians, which many times you wonder, are they really? Because I worked at those camps, well, one of them anyways. And, and you do, you question, are they really Christians? I mean, this isn't Christianity. But you've got to live it out so that they know that there is something more than what they have. They need to desire what you've got. There's being in the world, like I am, working. There's, I, I can't think of anything better, um, though it's hard, that when someone that I'm working around in the world wants to talk to me about the problems in their life. And I'm just like, wow, they're not even spiritual. They're not even Christians. But they see something in me, which would be Jesus Christ, 
that makes them want to talk to me. So it would only be fair that if it's the Jesus in me that they see, then I need to give them that same Jesus. See, because if it was me, they wouldn't like me. There's nothing special about Kevin. There's really not. It's Jesus through Kevin that they desire. So when they want to talk to me, I need to give them that. I need to give them the Jesus. I need to give them his word. That's the counsel that they need. And they know that, but sometimes we'll get caught up in thinking, it's, well, maybe, maybe I've got some wisdom that they just need to hear from me. It's, it, it's not going to work out. So I try to give them them. So sacrifice, it's holy, it's simple. And then, then verse 2, he says, and do not be conformed to this world. That's one of the biggest things. That's the problem with the church today. We want to conform to the world. We want to be like the world. The world doesn't see a difference anymore between the church and it. I remember um, years ago, um, the fathers, the father, singular, of the Foreman brothers that are the guys from Switchfoot, their dad talking, and they were out there involved in the Hollywood music scene and all that. And he, their dad asked him, what do the people out there think about Christians? He said, they don't even care. They're, they're they think we're irrelevant. They're indifferent to us. We don't make enough difference that they even concern themselves with us. And that's a sad state um, when that's what the world sees. They should see something. We should irritate them at, at the very least. They should be, oh, I can't stand those Christians because they're always wanting to do good. You know, They're all goody-goody guys. and They're always giving me a hard time. See, John the Baptist, they didn't like him. Herod, Herod Herodias, she wanted him dead because he kept telling Herod, hey, you should not be sleeping with your brother Philip's wife. And she didn't like that. I want his head on a platter. And she talked her daughter into getting it because he was an irritant to them. But it's kind of like, you know, if you guys know, I, I'm not this great biology kind of guy, but I have heard that clams... When they get they get a, a grain of sand inside of them that irritates them, they secrete something in them to form a smooth surface around the grain of sand that's in them. That secretion makes that smooth thing and, and eventually becomes a pearl. That irritation becomes the pearl. John the Baptist is an irritant. He was obviously was snuffed out. You can't take the analogy too far, but, but you can see that John the Baptist became a pearl to the kingdom of God. Not the pearl of great price, not that story he tells. He became a great, precious thing in the kingdom of God. Not because he was trying to be irritating. That wasn't his purpose, and that shouldn't be our purpose. So I'm going to go irritate as many people as I can. That's, that's not... But... If we live the life of Jesus Christ, or the life that Jesus Christ has called us to live, we become an irritant to the world. And in doing so, we do become a precious thing in the sight of God. That's what we want. And like I said, when the world looks to you because you're different than all the other Christians, they know you're different, they come to you when there's problems. I've had it happen recently in the last month or so, like three times. People in the world, they want to talk to me about my Christianity. I'm having these problems with this person or that that guy or what and to talk and and try to share with them God's wisdom. So we need to know it. That's the practical side of our Christianity. Okay, this isn't foundational stuff. I don't expect people, people that just accepted the Lord to be able to go out and do these things. Though there is a little bit that they can do. A story that I remember from years ago of a girl at Calvary Chapel Costa Mesa who accepted Jesus Christ. And she studied to memorize John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. She memorized that. And she went out in the streets to let people know that. That's all she knew. She went out and was street witnessing. And this is a story I can't verify. I don't think I ever did. But this is a story that I was told years ago. And she went out street witnessing 
and telling people that Jesus loves them. And some guy came to her and he said, okay, so if Jesus loves me, then why? And he asked her some question. She didn't have the answer. She goes, you know what? I don't know. I don't know the answer to that question, but I do know this, that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. The guy's like, I know, but then there's these other things. And he's, he's throwing all this stuff at this girl. She doesn't know. All she knows is John 3.16. And she keeps quoting it to him. He keeps quoting it to him. The guy goes, why do you keep quoting this to me? She goes, that's all I know right now. I know that God loves the world and he gave his son. The guy just looked at her friend. He goes, you know what? I believe you. And he accepted the Lord. That's all she knew. But she was willing to take what she knew and use it in the world to try to bring people to Jesus Christ. That's part of what we should be doing. We should be out there taking the little bit that we have and sharing it with the world. Not conforming to the world, but trying to get the world to conform to who we are. My friend John, I won't use the last name, but um, he, he one time he said, you know, as Christians, we always used to have a line. There's like a line drawn in the sand. We will go right up to that line and reach across and try to bring the world to our side. We're kind of like the Obama line now, right? We got the line in the sand, but it means absolutely nothing. Instead, we're on the other side of the line now, living with the world and trying to draw them back across the line with us. And that was never the way God wanted it to be. We were not to be conformed to the world. And that's what the church has done. We've conformed to the world. We look just like them. We talk just like them. We act just like them. There's really no difference. And that's why we're so ineffective. And I'm not talking about this church at Calvary Chapel Running Springs. I think we're, God's doing some incredible stuff here. And um, we're hoping for a lot more. But the church at large, that's all it is. It's just an ineffective... It's, it's like no better than the Elks Club or, uh, or Elks Lodge or some other you know club that men gather in or women might go to, you know, their little quilting bees. Or, that's really... That's all it's become. It's just a social thing. You know... Um, that's what I see most of the church being. It's just a social club. And it's, it was never designed to be that way. It was a place to go and die so that we could go out and be effective in the world. Not conforming, but transforming by the renewing of our mind. Our minds need to be transformed. We can't think the way we used to think. We can't think the way the world thinks. We need to think the way God thinks. We need to seek Him out, seek out His Holy Spirit and say, what is it you want us to do, God? How do you want me to approach this thing? When we started this Thursday night study, that's what it was, was prayer. I was approached by Tanner. We prayed about it. I went to Michael, told him what Tanner was telling me, told him to pray about it. And the three of us prayed about it. Patty knew also. But we prayed about it, I'm sure, at that point. Becca knew too. And we just continued to pray about it until we finally said, okay, this is what we feel God is telling us to do. So we've been doing this now for few months and now we're like okay lord now what we don't know so i talked with tanner said tanner we need to pray about it talked with michael I said michael here's what we're praying about i've told you guys i told richard i said we need to pray because we don't know what god's going to do so right now it looks like at the end of july we're done we will be moving to probably back to a home bible study at my house and maybe in november is what we're looking at right now depending on what happens in the church maybe october november we'll be starting back up run the series for a couple months again and then take another few months off. It's all, but we don't know. That's just kind of what we think right now. But God could do some crazy thing. It may not stop. It may go further. I, I just don't, I don't know. But we want to have our minds renewed so that we can understand and prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. We don't just want some of God's will. We want his perfect will. That's why there's constant prayer being lifted up. What is it you want to do, God? That's what we're supposed to do. As we renew our minds, we want to think like God thinks. And we do that by the Holy Spirit because we don't even know how we should pray. He says we don't even know what to pray for as we should. But the Holy Spirit makes intercession for us. Sometimes it's just, and, and I've been there, where you just you want to pray, and you're just like, God, I, I don't even know what to say. You just kind of, and the Holy Spirit goes, Father, here's what he means by that. He intercedes with groanings, things that can't be uttered. 
And the Holy Spirit understands. He goes, God, I, I know, Father, I know what he means here. Here's what he's trying to say. Because you just, there's so much we just don't even know. And, and we just, all we can do is just kind of sigh. But God understands that sigh because he looks beyond that. He looks to the heart. He understands what's going on in the heart. And that's what we want. We want to conform to God. Be transformed into his thinking so that we can prove the good and acceptable and perfect will. That's what we're, that's what we're striving for. Okay, so we want that. Luke nine twenty three, when Jesus put it this way, and he says, if anyone desires to come after me, let him take up his cross daily and follow me. That's the way God says to do it, okay? Again, the living sacrifice, take up your cross daily. Okay, we know that Jesus didn't take up his cross daily. He took it up one time and died. Once for all, he died. That's the difference between his sacrifice and ours. We have to daily pick up that cross. Again, a living sacrifice wants to get off the altar. So every day, we've got to get up. We've got to get back on the cross. Okay, here we go again. Nails in. Here we go. I've got to die daily to myself. I don't want to do it, but I have to do it. So if you want to follow Jesus, he says, you take up your cross daily. And that isn't, I always like to say, because I actually have heard, I, I, I don't want to call him pastors because i don't think they were uh, i've heard people say guys that stood behind pulpits in churches i'll put it that way that taking up your cross it could be the burden of a, a wife that isn't a believer or maybe if you're younger it's a brother or a sister maybe it's a neighbor you have maybe it's the car because it's not new it breaks down all the time and this is the cross that you have to bear it's like no that's just a pain in your life the cross you have to bear is you dying daily. That's what he's talking about. There's no other thing that this meant. When Jesus spoke this at that time, everybody knew what he meant. He meant there is a piece of wood that you get nailed to. And when you get nailed there, you don't come down. You die there. That's what he meant. It wasn't symbolic of some neighbor that was a pain or you know, whatever your issue may be. Your crops didn't grow well that year and so you're going to be a little short on cash. That's not it. Dying daily. Crucifixion. That's what he's talking about. Another place where we see, like I was just talking about, about being different from the world, 2 Corinthians 6, 17 and 18. Paul speaking of the church of Corinth. It says, Therefore come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean and I will receive you. I will be a father to you and you shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. And that actually comes out of Isaiah uh, 52, verse 11. Okay, If you read in Isaiah, it doesn't read like that. It reads differently in Isaiah. But remember, the New Testament is commentary on the Old. So it may not read the same, but the idea of what is being said is that. Okay, That we come out from among the world. Because God's telling His children, come out from Babylon. Come out from among the Babylonians, the Assyrians. They weren't going in captivity. When Isaiah is speaking, he's telling them, this is what God wants you to do. You come out from among them and be separate. Don't be like them. And unfortunately, they went into that captivity and many of them liked the captivity and they liked being in Babylon and Assyria. So that's why when we go back in Ezra and Nehemiah, we only see a portion of the people come back. But what's cool is with that portion, when we went through Isaiah years ago, remember that portion that came back? They brought Babylonians with them. Because there were some of the Babylonians and Syrians and said, you know what, I like what you guys got. I like the way you guys live, and I want to come with you. And then they become household stewards, that whole thing. Uh, we, we talked a little bit about that last time. So come out from among them and be separate. And this right here in, in Titus is kind of the key of what I was basing uh, this study on in Titus 2, verses 11 and 12. It says, For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age. So he's like, this isn't something for the future. This isn't like when you die and you're in heaven, then you live this kind of life. He says, Paul says in writing to Titus, no, this is what you do now. This is the way you live now. In this present age, you live 
Hang on. Uh, soberly, righteously, and godly. In the present age. That's not for the future. That's what we do now. That's our Christianity. That's what our Christianity is supposed to be. Living like that. Right? In, in Romans again, in 12. I know I've got to hurry up. I've got to get done here pretty soon. Verses 9 through 19. I'm just going to read through it real quick. Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love in honor, giving preference to one another, not lagging in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing steadfastly in prayer, distributing to the needs of the saints, given to hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Repay no one evil for evil, having regard for good things in the sight of all men. If it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will replace, I will repay, says the Lord. So don't avenge the things that do people do wrong against you. That is hard. For me, very hard. I don't want to do that. When I have a guy the other day getting in my face because my I parked my truck in a road, well, I was I ran into the job real quick and his daughter had to go to work. I guess she's out honking the horn, calling her dad. They're blocking the road. Now it wasn't the only way out of that street, but I was blocking the road because I ran in real quick just to talk to this guy and then came back out. So. I said, if you can just back up a little bit to this next driveway, then I can go by and you can just go on through. So as I'm getting in my truck, another truck pulls up behind me and this guy's got a load of lumber in his back of his truck and he needs to unload the lumber on the job. So I said, um, she's all mad. I said, do you know how to go out the other way? Because you could just follow me. She goes, no, I go that way. Well, he's going to be unloading lumber. She ain't going that way for a while. Then the dad comes down and her dad comes down. Hey, this has got to stop. We can't be having you block the road and emergency vehicles and this guy's... And I'm just, I'm sitting there and I'm like, I, I don't want to um, just let him talk to me like this. I want to get up and get in his face. I'm like, look, um, if an emergency vehicle came through here, nobody would block the road. We get out of the way. You know, I said, I came here. I had to do something real quick. Typically, it's only to unload for the job that we sit in the road. We unload our stuff and then we move. And that's what we've been doing. Well, what about that guy down? He's talking about the other guy. Oh, Mr. Friendly. He was talking about the other guy. He doesn't like him. Then he, he goes, well, who's in charge? And I told him where the general was. You could go talk to him. And he went down to talk to him. Then I get a phone call. He came down here and he said he filed a complaint against you. I'm like, with who? I mean, I don't know who's going to file. But, but he goes, yeah, he said, you've done this before. I'm like, no. He goes, yeah. He said, from now on, if he comes down the road, you back up for him. Like, well, it's a county road, so he really he can't tell me what to do. I don't want to do what this guy says. I ended up on that job yesterday, and I was working there. I'm thinking, if that guy comes down here, in my mind, I'm on, going through. I'm like, Lord, I, I need to. This isn't what I need to do. In my mind, I, I know all the things I want to do and say. I'm like, Lord, this is not what I'm supposed to do. I know that. I know that. So I have to try to, okay, I don't even want to think. I don't want to pre-think because I might convince myself I need to say the wrong thing. It's hard. It's hard to sit around and let somebody be on you, give you a hard time. They're doing evil. I want to pay it back because I'm good at it, but I'm not supposed to. So he says, if possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. That's the hard part because it depends on me. I can't make everybody like me, love me, or not want to kill me or whatever. They may still want to do it, but I cannot fight back. I can't provoke that. And man, I'm good at it. I used to love to do that in the world. That was what I did. Someone didn't like me. Someone got upset with me. I provoked them so that I could beat them up. That's what I did. I started that when I was young. I used to go around the school doing that. I'd do something to somebody so that they would say something to me so I could punch them out. And that's still in there. It's like, oh, that's got to go. Because according to what Paul's saying is that it depends on, as much as it depends on me, I'm supposed to live peaceably. And that I don't find that within me. 
I praise God. I've never, no, I've only once gotten into it with a guy um, since I've been a Christian. And it was because he punched my sister square in the face right in front of me. And um, I had to stand up for my sister. It was the only time. And God, for whatever reason, I didn't get in trouble. My stepdad and my sister were both being taken to court. They were being sued by the guy that I hit. Um, I never showed up in the police report. I went to the deposition. I told them what I did. They were wondering why I wasn't on the deposition. I'm like, I don't know. I'm the one that hit the guy because his jaw was messed up. And I'm like, I did it. I admit it. And the judge was like, why did you hit him? I said, look, dude, if it was your daughter, I would have done the same thing. Men do not hit girls. It just doesn't happen, especially if that's the way I was raised. So they eventually just dropped everything. They let it go. That was the only time and I was standing up for a woman that could not stand up for herself. So um, one day I'll know whether or not that was right or wrong. God will let me know eventually. As of right now, I think I'm okay. But we'll see. <laughs> All right. Uh, we also have Titus 3, 1, where it says we are to be subject to the rulers. We're not to speak evil of other people. We're supposed to be peaceable, gentle. We're supposed to show humility. All right. James three fourteen through 29 talks about showing our faith through our works. Okay. When we do works, it's to prove our faith. It isn't because, uh, it, it doesn't help us like in our salvation. It's a natural byproduct of who we are as Christians. There should be works just pouring out of our lives. I don't have to stir up faith or stir up works when somebody comes and says, you know what, I need to talk to you. Like this people didn't last. I, I, can I talk to you about, I'm having this issue with whatever the issue would be. And, and can I just talk to you? I don't have to stir. I'm like, oh man, I get an opportunity to serve Jesus with somebody that doesn't know him. It's just, it's in me. And I'm like, that's exciting to me. I don't have to stir that up. It's a natural byproduct. As I spend time with Jesus and I spend time with God and I realize what he's done for me, that when I have problems and I can go to him and he listens and he gives me his word and it comforts me and it helps me and it changes me, I know I can take that same thing and go help others with it. It's just the natural byproduct. Okay, I don't work for my salvation. I work because of my salvation. So, and that's what James is talking about there in three fourteen through twenty nine. Uh, the, I did want to get into Second Timothy two nineteen through twenty one, but uh, I'm just going to talk about it because I know I'm almost out of time here. Where it talks about there's in in the house there are different types of vessels, some for honor, some for dishonor. Um, and this flies in the faith of face of all Calvinism when you read that scripture, because it talks about the vessels being of honor and dishonor, some of wood, hay, stubble, uh, gold, silver. And there in uh, Timothy, as Paul's writing, he says that you can make yourself a vessel of the latter kind. So if you are a vessel of dishonor, Paul says, you can make yourself a vessel of honor. You know, I, I don't want to do this injustice. I'm going to read it. And you'll, just because what I just said, you'll understand what I'm saying. But this this is really interesting when Paul talks about this. I'm just going to read it real quick, 19 through 21. Paul says, Nevertheless, the solid foundation of God stands, having this seal. The Lord knows those who are his, and that everyone who names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. But in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honor, some for dishonor. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from the latter, he will be a vessel for honor, sanctified and useful for the master, prepared for every good work. It's up to the person. They can choose to be a vessel of honor if they're a vessel of dishonor. Even though they're a vessel of dishonor in this house, you can change that, which flies against predestination. That shows you there is will, free will. I can choose. Okay, that's all I'm going to say about that. I'm only saying that because of the group that we have here. Um, okay, so the bottom line, Christian living, Matthew 22 through 34 through 40, when the man came to Jesus, the, the, the rich young ruler, which is, he asked, Master, which is the greatest of the commandments? Right? And Jesus said to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And the second is like unto it, love your neighbor as yourself. The first Four commandments of the Ten Commandments have to do with our relationship with us and God. The next six have to do with us and our relationship with fellow men. The two great commandments. Love 
the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. So, I was going to get into Acts 6, verses 1 through 10. You guys can read it for yourselves. It's when Stephen is called, and he is um, in what we're talking about, the practical Christian living, is a great example of Christianity lived out. When they were looking for people to wait on tables, Stephen was called because he was a man of faith. We see him live out his faith to where they want to kill him. When he's sharing, it says they couldn't do anything. They could not fight against the wisdom and the words that he spoke. They couldn't deny what he was saying. So they had to just shut him up. Because it's either do something about what you see in the mirror or walk away. So what they did with Stephen, basically, the analogy, they just broke the mirror. So I'm just going to get rid of the mirror. Then I don't have to see this ugliness. That's another way you can go. God wants us to look in the mirror, take inventory, change the things that he shows us. That is practical Christian living. Remember, it's not a theory. It's not an idea. It's doing something with what God is showing us. And that's our way, the more in-depth than our last time practical Christian living. That's what we're called to do. And that's what we have to do. And we have to check daily. You know, Every morning we get up, we should be looking in the mirror. Not only in the physical mirror, so you go to work and you don't scare your clients or your customers or whoever it is you're going to be dealing with, your fellow workers. Same with the scriptures. Get in it every morning. Look at it and go, okay, God, here's the mirror. Show it to me. i got to make some changes. I know it. So show me what they are and let's work on them. That's what he's called us to do. Let's pray. Father, thank you for always loving us and sharing with us and showing us the faults in our life, being honest with us, because that really is a sign of true love, the honesty. Help us to not walk away when you show us things we need to change in our lives. Help us to admit the truth of it and make the changes that need to be made. Give us your spirit so that we have the ability to do it. In Jesus' name we pray.